Please pray with me. Lord, may we recognize that you are near when we pray, that we follow a God who hears and answers our prayers. May your word be what is heard today and your message echo through our week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So a week ago, just an hour or so after the second service ended, David Katz began shooting fellow gamers at the landing at a NFL video game tournament. At 2.13 p.m., the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office tweeted that there had been a mass shooting and the news media around the world tuned in to see how awful the tragedy would be this time. Jacksonville had just made the national news 36 hours earlier when there had been a shooting death at a high school football game at Reigns High School. Well, no less awful for the families of Taylor Robertson and Elijah Clayton. We are grateful that there was only two fatalities beyond the shooter at the landing, although 11 were, others were injured. And Reigns High School, um, Joe Rod Jamel Adams died. Well, two others were injured. I'm not gonna talk about gun violence or the staggering increase in a number of public shootings at public places, although I could. A sobering fact is that kids going off to college this year have never lived at a time when they were not afraid of a mass shooting happening at their high school too, or their elementary school too. Com Columbine happened right before they were born. I'm not gonna talk about gangs or drugs or video game addiction. Those are all good topics to discuss. I suggest discussing them respectfully and thoughtfully in small groups or interactive venues. The church should be discussing these issues and should be involved in solutions. We cannot be like the Pharisees in our gospel passage who thought if we follow the right rules or we be good or clean, and if other people don't, they're outside God's favor. Jesus makes very clear that we cannot just follow with our lips. We have to be all in. We have to be following with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. That will mean getting involved. It will mean interacting with people who we may disagree with on a whole lot of issues in order to work with people on work on issues that we do agree on. It's not what I'm preaching on, though. Bill, you should do that another time. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. What I want to talk about today is about our witness to a world that is in desperate need of knowing the Lord. I don't want to oversimplify complicated issues. Nothing is easy. And yet, there is no solution to our nation's problems or our world's problems without a massive movement of the church setting aside political, racial, and cultural divides to work together on the many things that, we, that do unite us as Christians to reach a world that needs the gospel. If you're interested in attending an event on working across denominational lines to be more unified in areas God calls us to show you in unity, Gordon-Conwell Seminary is hosting a house-mended Christian unity in a culture of outrage this Friday at 6.30. If you're interested, you can email me or jacksinfo at gcts.edu for more information. One of the advantages of my job working at Gordon-Conwell which is a multi-denominational seminary, is being able to interact with students and faculty from across every denomination, 
pretty much, and non-denominational traditions out there. I think we represent more than 90 denominations. I get a front row seat to see what people and churches are doing in ministry. Um, gangs, without risk kids, with people coming out of prisons, you name it, they're doing it. So I get to see some really amazing work being done. But it sometimes feels like they're just drops of water in an ocean. That doesn't mean it's a waste of time. Every, every life that's transformed is matters to the Lord. And every heart that turns to Jesus matters. All those drops do add up. And all of those drops ripple out and affect others. We might be sowing seeds that don't appear to be producing anything, but when we get to heaven, we might find that those seeds produce for us. So don't be discouraged when you see, don't see results right away or the problems seem too much. I think we can trust that the Lord is bigger and he's working in the most hopeless of situations, or what appears to us that are hopeless. If you watched any of the coverage last weekend of the shooting at the landing, newscasters and politicians kept saying, pray for Jacksonville, or their thoughts and prayers were with Jacksonville. Pray for Jacksonville was trending on Twitter. I've heard this before, so have you. Pray for Orlando, pray for Las Vegas. It's hard to take seriously every time. I don't want you to get me wrong. I believe in prayer. I talk to God throughout my day, which is my version of praying unceasingly. And I'm sure there are politicians and news people who really do mean it. They are praying to the one triune God. What I find distressing is that every time we have a tragedy, people will say they send their thoughts and their prayers with no specifics about what they could possibly mean. And then it appears within a few days, they move on to something else. Here are these words of Jesus from today's gospel reading as he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Prayer is an intimate dialogue with the Lord. It implies relationship. Early prayer might be, Jesus, I'm ready to know you, or if you're a real God, show me. As you grow in relationship with the Lord, your prayer life should grow as well. The Lord has promised that he is near and he hears our prayer. It's then that our witness of that intimacy with the Lord should change us and evoke curiosity about the God we follow. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy 4. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? I'm reading from the NIV there. In verse 7, it says, The Lord our God is near us when we pray. The Pew Bible um, read from earlier was, says, Whenever we call upon him, they're both accurate. When we call upon the Lord, we do so in prayer. The Hebrew word there is korah, which translates either call upon or prayer. 
It also has a connotation of um, crying out for help. So Israel had something that no other people on the earth had. Their God, the one true God, was near to them whenever they prayed. Numbers 23, 21 says, The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. The Lord was with his people in the wilderness, and he heard their prayer. Israel also had a unique law that the Lord had given them. Moses assures them that their obedience to the law would not only give them life, but it would give them wisdom and understanding in the sight of the nations, so that the people of the other nations would see what kind of God Israel followed. Part of that was the relationship that Israel had with the Lord. They were different than the other nations because an intimate relationship with the Lord changes everything. No one is the same. Israel should look different, just like we should look different, and be modeling what a changed people looks like. Deuteronomy can be read as the missionary charter of the Hebrew Bible. The people have arrived at the edge of the promised land. They've been given a unique law, which Moses tells them, if they practice it diligently in the land they're about to enter, it will form them into a distinctive people that will provoke the surrounding nations to curiosity and awe. Their social righteousness, their ethics, just the way they live will be seen by nations and should point to Israel's God. This is how Israel will be a blessing to the nations. Deuteronomy is basically a long sermon by Moses to the second generation of Israelites. They've been traveling for 40 years in the wilderness, and they have traveled with the Lord moving at their center, literally. No matter which tribe they were in, they could see the manifestation of the Lord as he appeared as a cloud by day and a fire by night. Deuteronomy 40 describes this throughout all their journeys Whenever the cloud was taken up from over, their, over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The way the Israelites' camp was set up was with the tabernacle at the center and the 12 tribes encamped around it in a particular order. The tabernacle with the Holy of Holies was in the center. Moses and the priests were right outside. The Levites were surrounding the tabernacle and the other tribes surrounding those. So the, the people were used to having their God at the literal center of their lives. Now you would think if you went out every morning and there was a cloud that was God hovering over the tabernacle before you went to bed every night, there was this big fire out there that you, that presence would be enough so you didn't question the presence or provision of the Lord. But we know this isn't true. In the passage today, the example Moses gives of Baal Peor is one of disobedience that led to death. In our reading today from Mark, the Pharisees had Jesus himself, the God incarnate, right there with them, the dust of his feet wafting on them, and they didn't recognize him or understand the nearness of God. They were worried about ritualistic hand-washing. They're talking there about, um, uh, they're not talking about hygiene there. It's about rituals. Even among those closest to Jesus, those who, who spent years eating and sleeping and learning from Jesus, 
they still struggled learning a life of obedience and one that modeled what living a changed life looks like. One betrayed him and one denied him. So if Israel at the end of their time in the wilderness couldn't be completely faithful when God provided their daily bread and guided their every move, how would they remain faithful in a land where they didn't have to rely on those things? They didn't have to. They, had, they were going to go to a land that was good for agriculture and keeping livestock. That had, they could grow olives and grapes. And there's enough water to survive even in dry years. God promises them in verse 1 that the land is theirs to go in and take possession. The secure possession of the land, long life and enjoyment of it, though, were dependent in each generation on the faithfulness of the people to be faithful to the laws and statutes and rules Moses was giving them. That's where abundant life is. The land is a divine promise. The people's ability to keep it and, and enjoy it is conditioned on their obedience in living in such a way that they will have life. That's an important distinction to remember. And this is true in our lives as well. Like the people of Israel, obedience to rules or the law doesn't earn us, just like it didn't earn them, salvation. There isn't a divine scale somewhere that says if you obey, how much you obey and how much good works you do versus how much you sin. If there is, we're all lost. Romans says there's no one righteous, not even one. Instead, we have assurance of salvation because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So as Christians, we have our salvation is assured. But our living in such a way that we have abundant life is not. We aren't supposed to sit around in a holy huddle and point fingers at what's wrong with the world. That was part of the problem the Pharisees had. We are supposed to go out and make disciples. And that implies going out. It doesn't mean going to, necessarily, although it could, mean going to Uganda or Honduras, but it may mean going to the neighborhood where Range High School is. It may mean hanging out with hardcore video gamers who perhaps haven't had a shower in a few days. It may mean joining or starting an interracial small group looking at racial reconciliation in Jacksonville. I don't know what it will mean exactly for you, but it, whatever it means, it will eventually mean more than just hanging out and talking. It will mean sharing the gospel and making disciples, but it can't start there. Just like Israel, you, me, Redeemer, the larger church has to look different. We have to live different. We have to evoke curiosity. People will want to know what makes us different, what drives our faith. True intimacy with God is attractive. And that begins with serious and thoughtful prayer and listening. Redeemer has spent the last year learning to listen to the Lord. What is he saying to you? What's he saying to your group? What is he saying to your family, to us as a congregation? For some of you, it might be as prayer warriors against the spiritual forces of evil. For others, it might be mentoring a kid in a neighborhood you don't really want to go to. For some, it may be getting to know that person that new person at school, or sitting next to somebody alone at the park. It could be as scary as inviting the person who lives next door to you to dinner. 
and getting them to know them as somebody other than the people who don't mow their grass enough. There may even be a good reason why they don't mow their grass enough. I don't know what God will call you to do, but I guarantee you, if you give them permission, it will be out of your comfort zone. As my accountability Mary Riley likes to remind me when I complain about being stretched, Jean, God cares more about your character than your comfort. Pretty sure she's paraphrasing Rick Warren, but I've heard it so many times from Mary, it seems original. I obviously have quite the character by now. And never forget to keep praying and putting on the full armor of God. We shouldn't live so much of our lives in individual pods. If you don't know the names of the people who live around you, why don't you? Be praying for them. Know, know, know your community. People will not be able to see Christ in you if you aren't in relationship with people outside your bubble. I'm going to repeat that. People will not be able to see Christ in you if you aren't in relationship with people outside your bubble. I'm not talking about making friends for evangelistic reasons. I'm talking about genuine relationships, praying for people, being involved in your community, reaching out, serving, being in relationship with a diverse group of people from all walks of life. Because as you are going, because you are living a life of obedience, which has led to an abundant life, even when circumstances are difficult, and because you are in a relationship with the Lord who is near when you pray, you will evoke a curiosity and interest by others. They will want to know about the Lord you follow. And that was the calling of Israel that Moses describes, and it's part of our calling today. Let's look at what Moses said one more time. Observe the decrees and laws carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? I'm going to read verse 8 as well. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? As Christians, I think we often put the law in opposition with grace, which isn't supposed to be the case. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I think we often hear the law in legalistic terms rather than the biblical definition. A fuller definition of law, or Torah in uh, Hebrew, is instruction or teaching. So when Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law, it, that may, doesn't make a lot of sense if we're thinking it about in legalism. But, oh, how I love the Lord's teachings makes more sense. The law itself is a sign of God's presence, his nearness. Just in these first few verses in Deuteronomy 4, it says the law represents many of the Lord's attributes. The law is life-giving and righteous. It's what, there's wisdom and understanding in it, just like the Lord. Moses is talking to a people, remember, that had spent their whole lives with God physically near, but it didn't seem to help them to obey. We don't have a cloud or a fire leading us, we don't have Jesus on the planet anymore, but we do have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
And we do have what Paul calls in Ephesians the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which promises us the presence of the Lord is near when we speak. Paul writes in the letter to the Philippians, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I have the first part of that passage written on the whiteboard in my office. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a daily reminder that no matter what happens, I don't have to be anxious because the Lord is near. He's right there with me no matter what. Now, I wish I could tell you that I always lived into that assurance, but I struggle especially when things are difficult or when things seemingly don't make sense. The last week and especially the last couple of months have been hard. I don't know why God allows innocent people to get shot or killed or injured. Not only these shootings in the last week, but one of my friends from college's 17-year-old son was shot to death in an accidental shooting in in July by another developmentally disabled young man on a buddy and me camping trip. It didn't make sense. Thankfully, his mother and family are believers, and their faith has been a testimony to many during this shattering time, including myself. It, in fact, it's often our faith in times of crisis that will evoke the most questions and curiosity. We don't have to pretend to have the answer to why. We only have to point to the answer about who. It is our trust that the Lord is near, and even when all we can pray is Jesus or Lord have mercy, or just trust that when through our tears the Spirit is interceding on our behalf that shows others there's something different. We have a hope and a faith that is built on something so deep that even when our heart is broken and the world shatters around us, we still know that God is near. It won't be our elegant words of persuasion that will win people to Jesus. It will be our broken hearts that are still somehow held together with threads of hope. Now, I could give you theological arguments or point to the work of the enemy, but I don't really know why God allows some things to happen. But I do know with absolute certainty that God is good, and we don't have the whole picture I trust we don't have all the information, but when we do see what God has been weaving from the other side, what has been incomprehensible will be clear. I've read the end of the book. God wins. We just aren't to the end yet. Let me challenge you today to live your life so that people will ask questions. I know many of you already do, but go further. Let God stretch you. What could you do or not do so that people will ask questions. What could you do in a new way? Consider that question regularly. What the Lord prompts you will be different for each of you. Pray about it. Share it. Be sure you are holding one another accountable. And let's also be praying specifically for the people involved in the tragedies that happened last weekend. Prayers are powerful. We can stand in the gap for those who most need it. Some of us may be led by the Lord to reach out and serve and be stretched in ways that
that we may never have been. Go where God leads. We don't live the gospel with our lives. We will invalidate the gospel we speak with our lips. The nations need to see the Lord and his people. I will leave you to ponder this as you go out today. What is your life proclaiming about the Lord to all you encounter? Go with God.